Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you today? Well, I'm great. Uh, Our old pal, uh, Evan Grant, is not with us this week. Uh, His mother died uh, Monday uh, after a a long and fruitful life. Um, She lives here in Dallas with him. Uh, Of course, Evan grew up in Atlanta, uh, and she had lived here since uh, Evan's father passed in 2012. Uh, So uh, this is a a difficult time for Evan. So if y'all would all be thinking about him and remembering him a little bit uh, as he goes through this passage. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be thinking about Evan as we, as we go about our duties this week and going forward. So uh, let's move on to the uh, uh, Cowboys. They're in training camp. Uh, David is at training camp in Oxnard. David, how much longer will y'all be there? Well, uh, first, let me say that yesterday watching practice, the heat was relentless in how it beat down on me. <laughs> and then I looked at my app and it was 73 degrees. <laughs> but it was a searing 73 degrees. I, I just don't, I don't think people back in Dallas really understand what it is that we go through out here. Yeah, the humidity was really high, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah he, I was, we went to, uh, I just come off a week of vacation. We went to the lake in Arkansas, and, and not only was it so pleasant there, it actually rained on us like a couple of days. Did it really? What? Yeah, I, could, I, I didn't even know what it was at first. We have a, you know, we have a granddaughter now. She's 18 months old, and she's walking around in it like, what's, what's going on here? What is this? <laughs> what is this wet stuff? So anyway, it was very nice. So yeah, I got a little bit of that, but not quite as nice as you've had it out there in Oxnard. No, and uh, uh, you know, not much rain here either, though. And all the, I think this is probably the tenth or eleventh camp I've been out in Oxnard, and all that time I remember it raining one morning for about twenty minutes. An actual rain, <laughs> not when you're just in like a, a you know marine layer and you're socked in and it's you know like yeah. drizzling, but actual rain, I think once in the 10 or 11 camps I've been here. So it doesn't get a lot of rain here, but uh, the heat, at least on the coast, is not what it is back in Dallas, which, which is why uh, Jerry Jones loves to have the team come out here and train. And uh, they, they do get more reps in. You know, if you're back in the Texas heat, you have to reduce your workload. And this is just about, you know, that's limited now because of the new practice rules. I mean, here we are, what is today, August 9th? You were asking what the schedule is. This will be their last padded practice here in Oxnard. Now, but the schedule gets real truncated from here. They're going to practice here on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, they'll have a walkthrough, and then they'll fly to Denver. They'll have a scrimmage with Denver on Thursday ahead of the Saturday game. Then they will fly back to Oxnard, where they'll have two walkthrough practices, and then leave next Tuesday for Irvine, where they'll have two padded practices with the Chargers ahead of their second preseason game on that Saturday. And then they break camp and come back to Dallas. All right, David. So uh, the the scrimmage is Thursday uh, with Denver, and then they play the game on Saturday. What do you expect to see uh, there? How how much will we see the regulars? How much will this be uh, a situation where they will try to look at some of the young guys? And what do you think about the competitions so far? Yeah, well, uh First, congratulations. There were about 27 questions in that finely honed uh, <laughs> uh, run-up uh, yeah, that sure. I could go with. But, uh, Pick which no, one I, you want. 
<laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, th- this is going to be interesting. And, and Mike McCarthy's been a little coy about it and, and Dak Prescott. But, you know, I think all NFL coaches are trying to wrap their heads around what's the best way to train a team when you only have three preseason games and how much do you want to expose the starters? You know, we've seen around the league starters being exposed less and less uh, around the league. And my belief is what's going to happen is you will see all the first team get work against the Denver first team in the practice uh, on Thursday. And that's a more controlled environment. You get to see ones against the ones. Uh, it's basically like a scripted preseason game, right? Um, each team gets to work on what they want to work on against the other team's best players, second team against second team. At times, you'll you'll mix and match to see how guys uh, react to those, uh, you know, maybe moving up a step, if you will, moving up a team. But I, I think I think this and the practice next week against the Chargers, which are two days, I think this is going to serve as the preseason for the bulk of the starters on this team. I, I really think for the first time you will not see Dak Prescott in a in a reg, in a preseason game. Uh, I'm not so sure he's going to throw it all. I think they're going to say the work you against to get, get against Denver in this one practice, uh, the work you get get against the Chargers in two practices. That's enough. You're ready. You wouldn't get any more quality work in a preseason game. Why put you out there? Let's determine. You know, let's use those snaps to determine who's going to be your backup. Let's use those snaps to to get rookies Tyler Smith and Sam Williams and Jalen Tolbert as much work as they can get without overworking them going into the regular season. So my belief is, from a Cowboys perspective, you're going to see fewer starters in the preseason than you've ever seen before. Uh, and these three scripted practices are going to serve uh, is their ramp up to, to get ready for the regular season. Now, there'll, there'll be some starters here and there that you'll see just because they're younger. Uh, you know, I think starters who are in their second or third year who haven't had that many snaps, I, I think you'll see them out there. Maybe you put an offensive lineman next to to Tyler Smith because you want to give him a little, you know, you want to work on the continuity of the offensive line. But I, I really think that's going to be minimal. I, I think uh, most of the veterans, at least the the signature veterans that we're used to seeing, uh, it's going to be by and large in these in these uh, practices. So uh, we've seen times when when Dak uh, didn't play a lot in the preseason, and we've seen him start slow when when that has happened. Uh, so would you expect then that uh, he'll be when the season starts that it'll be like a you know you know. Uh, let's say Dak at uh, at a and his with his B game, his B minus game, his C plus game. What do you think? Yeah, well, I I expected him to get off to a slow start last year after not much preseason work in the shoulder, and he threw for what four hundred and forty something <laughs> yards on the road against Tampa Bay and, and yeah, that was pretty to good. win that game. Um, so I I think he's at the stage of his career where, to me, the only reason you play him in the preseason is you want to get some work with him on the young receivers. But that's what's going to happen in the practices against Denver and the Chargers. Uh, those guys are going to be rotating in and getting a lot of looks with the ones, uh, the guys who have kind of jumped up and intrigued the coaching staff. And so that's where he's going to work on the timing. That's where it's going to be com- you know, competition against an opponent 
uh, where they're not as scouted as, as what you the feel you get for going against the same guy day in and day out here uh, on the practice field. So, I, like I said, I, I just think those practices are going to be the tune-up. So I, I don't think you know we've seen quarterbacks around the league less and less play in these preseason games. Uh, really over the last couple of years. I think you're going to continue to see that. I I think more teams are going to go to uh, the schedule that the Cowboys have put together this year and just go, look, um, if we're going to go play uh, the Chargers or San Francisco or Denver, whoever it is on the road, let's just go a couple of days early, scrimmage with them, and uh, then play the game. And, you know, that breaks up the monotony and it gets us to work against the ones in a controlled environment, really more so than you would in a preseason game a lot of times, because, you know, you're going to go through reps over the course of the day in practice. Uh, you'll actually run. I, th- I think the way this is set up, Dak Prescott will have more plays against an opposing defense and a first team defense to get ready for the season in this structure than he really did under the previous structures of doing it in a preseason game. I guess the only losers in this deal are the fans who bought tickets to these preseason games. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) And that is, uh, which, which are still full price, right? And you still have to pay everything to, to do that. It's not a, it's not a discounted part of the package. So that's, you know, we've been talking for years. Isn't that something that, that uh, ownership is going to have to deal with, but basically it's just the, Fans on some level have come to accept it as like, well, you know, those are the ones I'll give away to friends that, <laughs> and say, you know, happy yeah. Christmas or something. And- yeah, exactly. Good thinking. All right. So let's talk about some of the uh, the competitions here and exactly uh, which are the one, you know, the one that's drawn all the, the talk so far has been the kicking uh, competition. So the winner is? <laughs> the winner is uh, to be determined. I, I the Based on the competition we've seen, no one has won. It's just been who has sunk to lower depths. Uh, Jonathan Garibay, who they had high hopes would be the guy that they could develop this year. Uh, in my mind, it's it, he probably should have started packing his bags last night because as, as we're doing this podcast now on Tuesday, um, they are having a kicking competition. They have four kickers coming through here today. Uh, it's Brett Maher who uh, kicked here in the past, Matt Amendola, J.J. Molson, and Cole Murphy. Now, they are only going to retain two kicking spots on this 90-man roster right now. So uh, Garibay is certainly gone. One of these four guys will emerge uh, to, to challenge uh, Liram Hiralahu. Um, the, Congratulations what's be in- on that, by the way. Thank you. Well, he phonetically <laughs> took me through how to say his name the other day, and I've been practicing in my off time. So good for it's you. I rule law who. Yeah, um, that's fine but, for saying it. It's spelling it on deadline that's worrying me. Well, no, that's not. Yeah, it it just uh, it auto corrects to hallelujah. So that's that puts you in a difficult spot. Um, you know, he's actually come on and he's looked, uh, pretty good o- over the last few days. I would imagine one of these four will replace, uh, Garibay to be, to be the camp competition. But if, but if two of these guys really rise and they just kind of shrug their shoulders over Hyrulahu and go, well, let's turn it over to these two guys and, and, and go from there. But I think the most likely scenario is one of these four will emerge, uh, to compete against Hyrulahu the rest of the way. And 
you know, given the pedigree, I would say either Brett Maher or Matt Amendola, uh, one of those two names is the most likely to join the kicking competition. But as, but as we said, you know, I think, you know, we talked about this in camp, uh, you know, going into camp after what we saw in the early competition, my stance was I would be surprised if the team starting kicker is is on the roster at the moment. So the fact they're doing this before the first preseason game uh, shows you they had those same concerns. Well, I know the fans had that concern last year because of the struggles uh, converting PATs and and not to mention yeah. field goals. Uh, and, that, and you know, David, I don't know if we ever quantified that. Did we ever determine if if those struggles cost them any games? Well, um, early, I think it did. I think it cost him one game. So, uh, you know, you're the chance of maybe being in for the number one seed. Now, as it was, they were still a top seed and lost at home in the first round. So I don't know, uh, you know, um, and, and the end of the season might have played out a little bit differently. But I, I would say it definitely cost them one game early in the season. Uh, and um, so, yeah, and... and they had the same thing last year. You know, Zerline was coming off the surgery, so they decided let's not kick him. And then when the regular season started, he wasn't ready. Right. You know, uh, and you hate to put it all in one game, but I mean, they certainly could have won that opener if mm-hmm. uh, if Zerline was right. was. But so I mean, what happens if they beat Tampa to start the season? Now they were str- they were strong early. They got off to a fast start, um, but still. What they lacked last year was a quality win against a quality team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a lot of good wins, um, but really not quality wins against a quality team. And that that may have changed uh, their approach on the season. Who knows? But but yeah, that, that hey, having said that, there are even more questions about their kicking game going into this season than there were last year with Zerline coming off surgery, in my yeah. mind. All right, let's let's move over to the wide receiver position, and we know there's been some obviously some losses there, and then we had uh, James Washington go down with an injury. Uh, you know, Cole Beasley's available. He is, and he will continue to be available from a Cowboys <laughs> perspective. You know, uh, it, you know, if if Dallas was to add a receiver, it would be more of an outside receiver. I think they feel they have three or four guys that they really like in the slot and want to give that time to. Uh, they'll want someone uh, that gives them a little more vertical stretch, uh, more of a, you know, an X or a Z sort of thing. So, uh, and that, that's the only technical football lingo I will use today, the X, the Thank Z. You. Maybe I'll that. throw in a Y, but why Why not? Yeah. You get that? That's a bad yeah, joke. Yeah, I, I got that. Dude. Thanks. I, didn't, I don't need the explanations. Thank <laughs> you. But, uh, yeah, and, you know, James Washington really wasn't part of the – you know, off-season program too much because he had an issue with his other foot. Uh, so certainly do you don't want to see anyone hurt. I will say for the practice perspective, it helps them that it came early and that all of these snaps from the start of camp basically have been going to these young receivers and giving them a chance to show if they can contribute anything. And I would say to this point, um, you know, Dennis Houston, uh, an undrafted free agent, um, has been really has been really steady. Uh, all of the all of the players talk about just how he's always in the right spot. Uh, Dak has developed a very quick rapport with him, trusts him already. Uh, not a flashy player, but he's where he's supposed to be. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, their third round pick, has flashed, uh, has done some things here and there. And, um, you know, another guy from last year who didn't do much 
but certainly has the speed that they want, which is why they took him in the fifth round last year, is uh, Semi Fajoko. Uh, these, especially these last three or four days in practice, he's come on and you've started to notice him more. So there's some opportunities here, uh, but this receiving game's not going to be at the level it was to start last season. Remember, we were going to last season wondering, well, this is a group that could have three 1,000-yard receivers. We're not talking about that anymore. We're just talking about, well, you're fine with C.D. Lamb, but who's going to be around him? Mm-hmm. Uh, because Gallup, even if Gallup comes back in week two or three, which I think is likely, he's not going to be the Michael Gallup we saw before the ACL injury. You know, it's going to take him time to get back to that. James Washington, at best, is not going to come back till mid-October. And how long is it going to take him to get back to the level he was? I don't think he'll be this year. So uh, there's some spots here early in the season where some guys are going to have to plug in and play. And and I, I also think they're, uh, the Cowboys are still watching the waiver wire and and would be uh, in the market for a veteran receiver to help them in the short term. You know, I, I think once the season goes along, I think they feel pretty good about where they'll be when Michael Gallup's back and has had a few games under him. But uh, I, I think they would, I think they would probably feel a little better, even though they're maintaining now they don't need to, if they had a veteran receiver that you could get, um, you know, that, that you could plug into the rotation. So Anthony Barr, speaking of guys who've been added, Anthony Barr was signed as a linebacker, a guy that, you know, I remember that the Cowboys were interested in that when he was coming out of college, uh, he was on their draft board. Yeah. Uh, how has he looked so far? Well, you know, he didn't have any off season. He was a free agent. And so they're taking it very slow with him. He's just working off to the side. I would really be surprised if he does much against um, Denver either. I I think probably after the Denver game, I think you'll see him maybe start working into practices next week and uh, doing some some work against the Chargers. Uh, This is just about being smart with him, making sure you don't bring him back too early where he has, you know, an injury. Uh, They're working on his conditioning now, but I also don't think they're concerned about that. He's a veteran. Um, They say he's already picked up and and it's similar to what they're doing defensively. He knows the the concepts there. this is just this is a great way for them to double down and continue to be even more creative. Uh, because now in the past it was okay, in this game, if we really want to use Micah Parsons as the defensive end and line him up on the line 80, 90 percent of the time, who are we going to run with Leighton Van Der Esch in there at linebacker and what does that do to our front seven? Now you just plug Anthony Barr in and you go, hey, we're set. If we need Micah to play down on the line the entire game, we will. If uh, if we want him, uh, you know, more rotational and, and moving around between spots, we can do that. So uh, it just gives them more creativity and allows them to not have to be concerned about covering an area if they use Micah strictly as a pass rusher. And I wanted to ask you about that because that's something that kind of snuck up on me, and maybe I missed something along the line. But you know, I know the talk had always been, well, we want to keep. Micah, uh, an option everywhere. And, and so to surprise, you know, the offenses and not let them get an idea of what we're doing. And then I read uh, uh, Mike McCarthy saying, well, we really, we want to have him on the line of scrimmage, right? Most of the time rushing the passer, isn't that what we want to do? And and I, it, it seems, so did I miss something? Was there a commitment now to say, yeah, this is better off? Is it because of the loss of Randy Gregory? How did that all evolve? I, I think I think it's still matchup specific. I mean, I think they're going to go into games and say, you know what, this left tackle or, or right tackle, 
cannot handle Micah Parsons, a steady dose of this all game. So let's go ahead and rush him 80% of the time. Um, you know, or they'll go into games and go, you know what? Sam Williams, Devontae Fowler, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, we're fine with these three guys. Let's use them more in coverage. Let's mix them up. Let's, you know, let's blitz them occasionally, change them out, but but let's have them more just just roam the field and because we're more concerned with uh the running back getting to the second level in this game. So we need Parsons. So I, I think it's gonna be strictly dependent on the matchups that week. And um there's also going to be some subterfuge to it. I think there are going to be weeks where they're going to indicate that he's going to, you know, rush. And then they're saying, you know what? No, the guys we have in there are good matchups for. So why would we rush him this game? Uh, I I think it's going to be fascinating. I I think they're really a a multidimensional defense more so than they've been in a while. And, And all of these moves that they've made, these are just interchangeable guys. Now, you know, it goes back it goes back at safety as well. They had some really good safeties in camp now. And, uh, you know, Israel Mukwamu, who they moved over from a corner last year is a ro- in the rookie class to safety, um, who didn't do much, if anything, last year, just did a little bit on special teams. He's looked really good on this camp, and he's kind of a, a J. Ron Kirsch light. So when Kirsch comes out, they can use Mukwamu in the same sort of role uh, that J. Ron Curse is in, which is this hybrid safety linebacker uh, who takes on the tight ends. So it, it's all matchup driven. Uh, they have some interchangeable parts back there, and th- and they can give looks defensively where an offense is going to say, "Okay, we have to cue off a of Parsons because he's here." But is that really what they're going to do because of their other players? Because they can still rush Anthony Barr. He has the ability to rush. So. Um, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for offensive coordinators and quarterbacks to key on exactly what the Dallas defense is going to do pre-snap. And uh, that's what they want. All right. I'm, before we get out of this Cowboys segment, I want to just say, uh, ask you one last thing. And why don't you give me a short answer on this? That's impossible to give a short answer. But well, I know it is, David. But anyway, I'll just say that just for the heck of it. Uh, is Micah Parsons the second coming of Lawrence Taylor? Potentially, yes. That was great. What a great answer that was. <laughs> Potentially, yes. That's really a nothing answer. But, <laughs> but yeah, well, I that, I think that, uh, yeah, this is, well, this is a big thing. And you've got yeah. to see it more than one year, right? I mean, I right. think this year is going to determine a lot about his career trajectory. Uh, yeah. Here's the other thing. He got a lot of attention in the offseason. Uh, now, I think, you know, from what people are saying, he – I mean, was disciplined, uh, still did everything he needed to do in the offseason, even changed his diet a little bit, is very serious about being great. Uh, you know, but he said yesterday, he said, look, I really enjoyed myself this offseason, but I also know if I don't continue to play at this level, all of that goes away. So he does seem to be very aware, but also embrace uh, his elite stature. We're going to tell this year, building off of what he did last year, I think what his uh, career tra- trajectory is going to be. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, one of the things we've noticed, and I think we've talked about that before on this podcast, is truly transcendent players, Hall of Fame players, you know it right away. Yes. You know, it is not a situation where they need two and three and four years to all of a sudden, uh, okay, oh, wow, look at look where he came from. You know, most of the time, the, the truly, truly great players, you see it 
right off the bat. And we certainly saw that last year from Micah Parsons. All right, that brings us over to the Rangers. Uh, this week they are in Houston as we are taping this uh, to play the Astros. Our old pal Tim Kalashaw wrote about the uh, the the legend of the Silver Boot series. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe an overstating. It seems that a, little a little strong, bit. but sure, yeah, go for it. A little strong. My favorite story about the Silver Boot series is our, as our pal John Blake, who, who by the way is going into the uh, Rangers Hall of Fame this weekend, along with Ian Kinsler. Um, the, the the former trophy was made out of glass, okay, or whatever that I don't know what kind of glass it is, whatever they make those glass trophies out of, and uh, and he thought so highly of it, he put it in his trunk. Uh, as they were uh, transporting, uh, going back to either going from Houston back to uh, Arlington or vice versa, whatever. And when he pulled it out, it was in pieces. So that was the uh, that was how highly regarded the uh, the old Silver Boot series was at that time. <laughs> now they they've gotten themselves a little more substantial trophy now that's not quite as conducive to being ruined by a thoughtless uh, Rangers or Astros official. Um, Plus, but, the trophy never moves anymore, right? Well, that, that oh yeah, it doesn't. You're right; it doesn't move anymore now. That's correct. Uh, the Astros have just been pulverizing uh, the Rangers. Um, as as Tim wrote about, uh, certainly the the Astros have had the much superior farm system the last uh, few years. That's how they developed all these players. Uh, now they're it, it's kind of seesawed now, where the rain the Astros farm systems have been depleted. Uh, and they've not replenished, and you know, they had some great draft picks and great choices. They were, they were also drafting very high for all those years of tanking. So it's uh, it's kind of just a natural course of things that the, the better you play, the worse your drafts, and uh, that's certainly been the case with the Astros, whereas the Rangers have, have built theirs up. Uh, as a guy that grew up in Houston, I'm well aware of the Astros' history, uh, some sometimes tragic history. Uh, but one of the things you could always say about the Astros from the very beginning was that they not only, uh, you know, identified pitching, they developed it. They always had pitching, uh, which is kind of crazy considering the fact that they were rarely any good until the eighties. And then, uh, they got pretty good. And then the, through the nineties and then two thousands, that's kind of, uh, been a different story. Uh, whereas the Rangers were always the opposite. Uh, always difficult time developing pitching. They've never been good at it. There was a brief period in the eighties when they had, uh, they, they uh, drafted and developed uh, Kevin Brown, uh, Bobby Witt and Kenny Rogers. And certainly those three guys were, were terrific players uh, and had really great careers. If you could get those kind of guys every decade, you come up with three guys of that caliber uh, then, then you've done a good job because that's the thing about the draft and, and pitching. It's difficult to find them. Uh, but once you do, uh, it, it kind of carries you through five, eight, 10 years, uh, it, through. And so you don't have to be consistently developing that level. And that's what tells you about what a bad job the Rangers have done, that they haven't been able to do that. Well, no continuity there. And, and one, let me say, I, I don't think, Tanking is not the phrase. I, I think it's competitively challenged, is what uh, yeah, the organization would say it was going through during those that period, Kevin. Yeah, but, competitively uh, challenged. That's nice. I like that. That is good. <laughs> but no, I mean the you know every every organization develops an identity, right? And and the Rangers have never been able. Uh, you know that was such a that was such a brief. You know meteor in their history 
uh, that just flamed out. I mean, you're citing something, what, like you said, back in the 80s, there was yeah. a brief period in the 80s where they actually developed some pitching that they were able to retain. Um, you know, now at least there's hope. They they have, uh, you know, several guys in the system. You would think they would be able uh, to do that at this stage. Uh, I guess my question would be structurally and from an organizational standpoint, why would they be able to do it now when they've been unable to for the last 40 years? You know, some of it is it has to be luck, right? Because sure. it, you know, even the Astros' ability to do that, that's transcends several generations, right? You're talking about admi- different administrations. So why would one from the next be any better than the other unless it's unless they're retaining the same scouts, you know? That, yeah. That's certainly a possibility that that's what's been going on. Um, I, certainly a lot of it's bad luck too. You know, sometimes, you know, pitchers get hurt. You have all the, you know, these, this guy's going to be terrific and then, and then just get hurt. So let's take that situation here with the, with the Rangers now, because of the, the, the recent draft and what they were able to get out of that. They got Kumar Rocker and Brock Porter, uh, the conceivably, if you want to consider Kumar a college pitcher, which he was no longer in college, but if we say he was a college pitcher, he was probably the best and most accomplished College pitcher in that draft, Brock Porter, the, considered the best high school pitcher in that draft. That's pretty good, be able to come away from a draft with two players uh, valued that way. And and I, I do put a little more faith in that now. We are a little bit better about projecting. Uh, I'm not, but the, the experts yeah. are a little better about projecting these guys, especially at the top of the draft. It's a little easier to say, yeah, we think this guy's going to be really good. Uh, and they and they do pan out more often than they have in the past. But even at that, let's say you have ten guys, which is about what the Rangers have now in their farm system. They have about ten pitchers that they really like, uh, and that is more than they've had since the the mid eighties. Let's say that, that you've got a solid ten. You could probably count on two, maybe three of those guys making it. And when I say making it, I'm just saying that they're on a major league roster. Mm-hmm. They are starting pitchers. They are in a rotation, and they are. Uh, they are every day, you know, every fifth day pitchers. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to be all-stars. I'm not going to say they're going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, so if you get one of those guys every 10 years that does that, you know, or 20 years, you've really done something. So uh, can can these guys uh, reverse the Rangers' fortune? Can Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter form the top of the Rangers' rotation just as they did at Vanderbilt? Uh, that's certainly the Rangers' hope. You know, that's that's what they're pointing toward at, at this point. Uh, they, they can't count on that, though. And that's and that's the thing. I think there a lot of fans are hoping that uh, those two guys, Cole Wynn, Cole Reagans, uh, some of the other uh, top pitching prospects that have been there for a while. You know, some of them we've seen kind of flame up and then flame out before they even got to the major leagues, you know. Ricky Venasco is a, a, a perfect example of the guy with tremendous talent who rose up and then kind of sunk back again. Uh, that just happens. These guys do get hurt. Even Jack Leiter, as much as everybody likes the pedigree, uh, he's had a really rough first season yep. in here, full mm-hmm. season in the minor leagues. And so uh, th- that's not unusual. You know, Walker Bueller had a very tough first minor league season as well, and he turned out great for the Dodgers. And and, and people have compared uh, Jack Leiter to Walker Bueller. So. Uh, I, I think that certainly uh, the potential is there, but the Rangers cannot proceed if, if they really do want to be a contending team next season, which is what they say. You know that they 
hope to be better this year, but they Which really still were- a big jump, I would say, from where they are and what we've seen. Oh, no question about it. And and to think that, well, we're gonna we're gonna front, and then then they know they can't front the rotation with those guys. That's what yeah. John Gray is there for. Hopefully, that's what Martin Perez is there for. So those two guys will be at the one and two. Uh, and then Dane Dunning, if he can continue to build on what he did the other day, I, I have always liked Dane Dunning. He, I think he has potential to be a very nice middle of the rotation pitcher. If they could get those three guys to start off next season, and then they need to go out and sign another pitcher. They need, they nearly really need a guy to be the number three, uh, a two or a three to push these guys back a little bit. And then you're talking about these young pitchers coming in to be in the four and five. And then that to me is a much more uh, tenable situation, especially if you think you're going to be competing for a wild card next year. But they've got a long ways to go. You know, as Evan wrote the other day, talking about the Mariners, the the Mariners have been, you know, every year it's like, oh, this is going to be the Mariners year. This is going to be the Mariners. And it's never been. Well, this year it is, you know, and and now all that talent that they have that have been accumulating has really risen to the surface, especially Julio Rodriguez, who, who looks like the next Ken Griffey. Uh, they have a lot of pitching. Uh, the Astros have a lot of pitching, and that's the Rangers' big fault. They don't have that. Uh, they are ahead of the Angels, and they're probably ahead of the A's for a little while. Uh, but I don't know how much further they're going to be able to, to – I don't know how they're going to be able to catch up with the Mariners or the Astros at this point. I still think they could be a 500 team next year, maybe a little bit better than that. Uh, it's probably 2024 and the addition of more talent, not only from their farm system, but through free agency that's going to make them into real contenders. Yeah, and what you said earlier kind of, get to me, gets back to structurally why the Rangers have not been able to develop pitching for even even a a small period or, or, or a short or an interim period, is that the percentage of hitting on the top guys is less than it is at a lot of your positional players, right? Sure. So if you're going to make the commitment to develop pitching, it's going to take longer just because of the percentages to get your staff to where it needs to be. I think I think the Rangers throughout their history, and especially with what the, their ballpark was, sided on – well, you know what? We're not going to see immediate benefits from this, but we can make this splashy move. We can have a you know a big hitter, and that's going to sell tickets, and and you have that excitement of games. Uh, sure, maybe we're going to lose more twelve to ten games, but that's exciting, right? So i I think it's been, and I I don't think the Rangers are the only organization. I think it's easy for a lot of organizations in baseball to do that and just go, well, look, you know. We've planted some seeds here, but that's four or five years down the road. Let's go ahead and and spend some money here and have an entertaining team because we've got to we've got to stay in the in the sports consciousness. And, and I just think that you know the, the Rangers have have lived too much for the moment without doing uh, what they needed to do on the pitching staff. And it does take expertise, but but to me, the commitment to develop pitchers is just something that goes beyond the approach that many teams want. And, and, and you can argue it's really not cost effective from a business standpoint either. Well, no, it's not, you know, the, the worst contracts you give out in baseball are always to pitchers. Yeah, sure. Uh, so you're always overpay and you're always running the risk of what happens. He blows out his elbow. And, and how many pitchers went to Cy Young and look what they, 
what do they produce the next year after winning a Cy Young? Even even the elite pitchers, there, there's kind of a roller coaster effect. Maybe less so now than there was, but there's a period there where it was pretty dramatic. Well, and and, and the ballparks have played a part in all this as well. Mm-hmm. It should that should be noted. You know, it's it's sure. different pitching in the Astrodome, a hitter's or, park, yeah, or yeah. Pick, pitching in Minute Maid Park than it is. You pitching tailor your at, park to what you want your identity to be as a team. Well, Arlington Stadium, and then uh, and of course the, the Globe Life. Uh, Park, you know, were both hitters' parks. Uh, you know, the, the Globe Life Park had a jet stream there, and, and, and then it was hot. And I remember Kenny Rogers told me one time that uh, he said, "Listen, no free agent pitchers want to come here. You know, it's yeah. it's too hot. It's a hitters' park, and so you're so you're automatically cutting off that part of trying to sign guys or trying to add to that. So it's already difficult enough to pay pitchers to come, top level pitchers to come." Uh, it, it's difficult to keep them healthy. So the, so the Rangers have, have shifted their approach to where we're going to try to develop them more. We're going to do a better job at that. I really do think one of the reasons why John Daniels added uh, Chris Young was that Chris Young was a big league pitcher. And so uh, I, I yeah. think John was always concerned that, all right, we're, we're a little nerd heavy here. Uh, and we need to add some, I need to add some people in the front office. That's why Michael Young works in the front office as well. I want to, I want to add some player perspective here, guys who have been in the trenches, guys who have seen this and what do they think and what do they think adds to the equation? Uh, and, uh, I certainly think that that was, that played a part. I think Chris Young probably was the guy who made the final call on Kumar Rocker. Uh, they could have done a lot. They could have gone a lot of directions there, you know, at, with that third pick in the draft. And they and they took the the leap on Rocker. It wasn't anything anybody expected to happen. Uh, I I think probably it might turn out to be the best thing. There were some great athletes and great hitters available at that point. We'll see if Tamar Johnson works out as a, as great a hitter as everybody thinks he's going to be. Going back to your point about that, do you want a great hitter? Do you, you want a guy who's going to be a perennial All Star, or do you want a guy pitching every fifth day? Well, that that is a tough call sometimes because you know when they're not playing all the time. Uh, that they don't make the same impact. But the yep. flip side of that is, if the guy's good enough, he stops. He stops the roller coaster every four or five mm-hmm. days. You know, and that's what. And frankly, that's what they've gotten out of Martin Perez this year. I, I, I've lost track of what his record was in his starts, but they're, the Rangers are something like fifteen and five yeah. in his starts this year. That's pretty phenomenal. You know, if they if you had two or three guys in your rotation like that, well, then you see what happens, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you see how you go quickly from a just a and also ran to a contender. So those are those are certainly issues going forward for the Rangers. We'll see how they develop that in the rest of this season. There's not a lot to look forward to, frankly, at this point, uh, and, and certainly not a lot this week in their series against the Astros in Houston. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, podcast this week. We thank you for joining us. Be, uh, be sure to check back with us next week uh, when we may not have the full crew then either, but uh, we'll have somebody here, right? David, you'll be here, won't you? Well, whoever's here, we won't be dealing with a full deck. I think we can all agree on that. (laughs) Well, that's kind of a chronic issue with us anyway. All right, that's going to do it. So see you next week and take care and stay out of the heat. Bye.